Chapter Four, Part Two of The Nightland by William Hope Hodgson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Nightland, Chapter Four, The Hushing of the Voice, Part Two. And in this wise passed three days and nights, yet both in the sleep time and the time of waking did great multitudes cease not to watch, so that many went hungry for sleep, as in truth did I. And sometimes we saw those youths with plainness, but other times they were lost to our sight in the utter shadows of the nightland. Yet by the telling of our instruments and the sense of my hearing there was no awareness among the monsters and the forces of evil that any were abroad from the pyramid, so that a little hope came into our hearts that yet there might be no tragedy. And times would they cease from their way, and sit about in circles among the shadows and the grey moss-bushes, which grew hardly here or thereabout. And we knew that they had food with them to eat, for this we could see with plainness, as some odd, grim flare of light from the infernal fires struck upon one or another strangely, and passed, and left them in the darkness. And who of you shall conceive what was in the hearts of the fathers and the mothers that bore the youths, and who never ceased away from the northward embrasures, but spied out in terror and in tears, and maybe oft with so good glasses and did show them the very features and look upon the face of a son and son? And the kin of the watchers brought to them food, and tended them, so that they had no need to cease from their watching and beds were made in the embrasures, rough and resourceful, that they might sleep quickly a little, yet be ever ready, if those cruel monsters without made discovery of those their children. Thrice in those three days of journeying to the northward did the youth sleep, and we perceived that some kept a watch, and so knew that there was a kind of order and leadership among them. Also they had each his weapon upon his hip, and this gave to us a further plea to hope. And concerning this same carrying of weapons, I can but set out here that no healthful male or female in all the mighty pyramid but possessed such a weapon, and was trained to it from childhood, so that a ripe and extraordinary skill in the use thereof was common to most. Yet some breaking of rule had there been, that the youths had each achieved to be armed, for the weapons were stored in every tenth house of the cities, in the care of the charging-masters. And here I must make known that these weapons did not shoot, but had a disk of grey metal, sharp and wonderful, that spun in the end of a rod of grey metal, and were some ways charged by the earth-current, so that there were any but stricken thereby they were cut in twain so easy as ought and the weapons were contrived to the repelling of any army of monsters that might make to win entrance to the redoubt, and to the eye they had somewhat the look of strange battle-axes, and might be lengthened by the pulling out of the handles. Now the youths made, as I have told, to the northward, but had first to keep a long way to the northeast that they might come clear of the veil of red fire. And this wise they journeyed and kept the vale about seven miles to the northwest of them, and so were presently beyond the watcher of the northeast, and going with a greater freedom, and having less care to hide. And this way it may be certain of the giants, wandering, perceived them, and went swiftly to make attack and destroy them. 
but some order went about among the youths, and they made a long line, with a certain space between each, because of the terror of their weapon, and immediately, it seemed, the giants were upon them, a score and seven they were, and seeming to be haired like to mighty crabs, as I saw with the great spy-glass, when the great flares of far and mighty fires threw their fierce light across the dark lands. And there was a very great and horrid fight for the youths broke into circles about each of the giants, and many of those young men were torn in pieces, but they smote the monsters from behind and upon every side, and we of the mighty pyramid could behold at times the grey, strange gleam of their weapons. And the ether was stirred about me by the passing of those that died, yet by reason of the great miles their screams came not to us, neither heard we the roars of the monsters but into our hearts, even from that great distance and safety, there stole the terror of those awesome brutes, and in the great spy-glass I could behold the great joints and limbs, and Eden, I thought, the foul sweat of them, and their size and brutishness was like to that of odd and monstrous animals of the olden world, yet part human. And it must be borne to mind that the fathers and mothers of those youths beheld all this dread fight from the embrasures, and their other kin likewise watched, and a very drear sight was it to their hearts and their human, natural feelings, and like to breed old age ere its due. Then in a time the fight ceased, for of those seven and twenty giant brutes there remained none only that there cumbered the ground seven-and-twenty lumbering hillocks, dreadful and grim. For the lesser dead we could not see proper. And we that were within the pyramid saw the youth sorted together by their leaders, all in the dim twilight of that place. And with the great spy-glass I made a rough count, and found that there lived of them three hundred. And by this shall you know the power of those few monstrous things, which had slain full two hundred, though each youth was armed with so wondrous a weapon. And I set the word through the pyramid that all might have some knowledge of the number that had died, for it was better to know than to be in doubt, and no spy-glass had the power of the great spy-glass. After this fight the youth spent a time having a care to their bodies and wounds, and some were made separate from the others, and of these I counted upon fifty and whilst the others made to continue their march towards the road where the silent ones walk, these were constrained by one who was the leader, to return to the pyramid. And in a little I saw that they came towards us, wearily and with many a halt, as that they suffered great wounds and the harm of fight. But those others, maybe two hundred and fifty youths, went onwards into the nightland, and though we sorrowed at this thing, yet was there come a huge pride into our hearts, that those raw ones, who yesterday were but children, had so held themselves in the battle and done a great deed that day. And I wot that whilst their mothers wept easeless their fathers' hearts swelled within them, and held somewhat of their pain away from them for a time. And all this while those wounded youths came slowly and rested and came on again, the better helping the worse. And a great excitement and trouble there was in all the mighty pyramid, to learn which were they that came and they that went, 
and who lay out there quietly among the slain. But none might say anything with surety, for even with that great spyglass in the Tower of Observation they were not over plain, save when some light from the fires of the land flared high and lit them. For they stood not up into the glare of the fires, as had the giants, and though I saw them with clearness, yet I knew them not, for there was so mighty a multitude in that vast redoubt that none might ever know the half even of their rulers. And about this time there came a fresh matter of trouble to our minds, for one of the Monstruacans made report that the instruments were recording an influence abroad in the night, so that we had knowledge that one of the evil forces was out. And to me there came an awareness that a strange unquiet stole over the land. Yet I knew it not with mine ears. But my spirit heard, and it was as though trouble and an expectation of horror did swarm about me. And once, listening, I heard the master-word beating strangely low, and I knew the ether to thrill about me, and a faint stirring was there in my soul, as of a faint voice speaking and I knew that Nani called to me some message across the night of the world, yet weak and coming without clear meaning, so that I was tormented and could but send comfort to her with my brain elements. And presently I knew that she ceased to speak. And later I heard that there was a new matter forward in the redoubt, for ten thousand men had assembled to attend the room of preparation for the short preparation and by this we knew that those poor youths who stumbled towards us through the dark were presently to have help. And through all that sleep-time there went forward the spiritual and the physical preparation of the ten thousand, and upon the morrow they slept, whilst an hundred thousand made ready their arms. And in this space of time the two hundred and fifty youths that went towards the road where the silent ones walk had come very nigh thereto having gone very warily, and with some slowness, because, as may be, of the lesson of the giants. And to us in the pyramid the instruments made known constantly that influence which was abroad, and which all those of the Tower of Observation thought to proceed from the House of Silence. Yet nothing could we see with the great spy-glass, and so could come to no sure knowing, but only to fear and wonder. And presently, the youths were upon the great road, and turned to the northward. And beyond them, a great way, stood the House of Silence, upon a low hill at a certain distance to the right of the road. By now they that were wounded had come to within maybe fifteen miles of the great redoubt, and the news went through all the cities that the ten thousand men that were prepared made to arm themselves and I went down by the tower-lift and saw them come down by thousands from the room of preparation, and none might go nigh to them or cause them to speak, for they were made ready and were, as it might be, holy. And all the millions of the great pyramid stood in their cities about certain of the main lifts, and watched those thousands go downwards, all in their armour of grey metal, and each one armed with the discos, which was that same very terrible weapon which all had training to. And I doubt not but that the young men of the pyramid looked with longing in their hearts that they might have been among those that went forth to succour. 
yet the older men had graver thoughts in their hearts. For the blood ran more soberly in them, and they had knowledge and memory of the peril. And by this I would make clear that I speak less of the peril of the body, which is common to every state of life, but of the peril of the spirit. And it may be thought by those of this age that it was most strange that they of that, having all the knowledge of eternity to aid them, had no weapon by which to shoot and kill at a distance. But, indeed, this had not been so in the past, as our histories did show. For some wondrous weapons there had been, that might slay without sound or flash at a full score miles and more. And some we had whole within the great museum, and of others but the parts in decay for they had been foolish things, and reckless to use. For we of that great pyramid wanted not to kill a few of the monsters that lay at a great distance, but only those which came nigh to harm us. And concerning those same weapons that killed silently at a great distance, we had now little knowledge, save that they did not waste the earth-current, and no practice had we concerning their workings for it was, maybe, an hundred thousand years gone that they had been used, and found to be of no great worth in a close attack, and harmful otherwise to the peace, in that they angered, unneedful, the forces of that land, slaying wantonly those monsters which did no more than beset the mighty redoubt at a great distance. For, as may be seen by a little thought, we did very gladly keep a reasonable quietness, and refrain from aught that should wake that land, for we were born to the custom of that strange life, and lived and died in peace for the most part, and were very content to have security, and to be neutral in all things that did not overbear us, but as it were always armed and ready. But concerning the great and evil forces that were abroad in the nightland, these we had no power to harm nor could we hope for more than that we had security from them, which indeed we had. But the hugeness of their power was about us, and we dared not to wake it, save through such extremity as had come to pass by this folly of the youths, though even now we had no thought to attack aught, but only to succour those wounded ones. And concerning this simplicity of weapons, which excites somewhat even my wonder in this our present age, it may be that the powers of chemistry were some ways quaintly limited by conditions in that age, and there to be always a need to spare the earth-current, and hence, by this cause and by that, we were brought, by the extreme, nigh to the simplicity of the early world, yet with a strange and mighty difference, as all may know who have read. Now presently the word was sent to every city throughout the great redoubt, as was the law, that the great gate should be opened, and each city sent its master to form the full watch, as was the law, and each went clad in grey armour and carrying the discos, and the full watch numbered two thousand, for there were also the watchmen. Then the lights in the great causeway were made dim, so that the opening of the gate could cast no great glare from within into the nightland to tell the watcher of the northwest and all the monsters that certain humans went out from the mighty pyramid. But whether the vast and hidden forces of evil had knowledge we knew not, and they who went must but chance it, remembering that they were prepared and had the capsule. 
and the ten thousand that were prepared went out through the great gateway into the night, and the full watch stood back from them and spoke no word, but saluted silently with the discos. And they that went raised each discos a little and passed out into the dark. Then the great gate was shut, and we made to wait and to watch, with trouble and expectation within our hearts. And at the embrasures many did comfort the women of those men. And I went back, upwards by miles, until I came to the Tower of Observation, and I looked out from there into the nightland, and saw that the ten thousand halted at the circle, and made arrangement of themselves, and sent some before and upon either hand, and so went forward into the nightland. And after that I went to the great spyglass and turned it towards the two hundred and fifty youths that were far off upon the road where the silent ones walk. Yet for a while I could not perceive them, for all the road seemed empty. But afterward I saw them, and they were clambering back into the road, having gone aside, as I thought, because of the passing of one of those silent ones, that I saw now at a distance to the southward of them. There passed then some three hours, and in that time I varied my watching between those far-off youths and the ten thousand that went forward to succor the wounded, that were now maybe scarce nine miles distant from the mighty pyramid, and the ten thousand came very close to them. And in truth in a little while they spied one the other, and I gathered in spirit something of the rejoicing of those youths yet weak and troubled were they because of their wounds and their knowledge of failure and their disobedience of the law. And presently they were surrounded by the ten thousand and carried upon slings. And all that body swung round towards the pyramid and came back at a great pace. And in the same time I heard the sound that made them so swift to hasten, for there smote up through the night the baying of the hounds and we knew that they were discovered. And I swept the great spyglass over the land towards the valley of the hounds, that I might discover them quickly, and saw them come lumbering, at a strange gallop, and great as horses, and it might be only ten miles to the east. And I looked once upon the watcher of the northeast, and I saw and marveled that the great bell-ear quivered constantly and I knew that it had knowledge and gave signal to all the land. Then did one of the Monstruakens report that a new and terrible influence was abroad in the land, and by the instrument we had knowledge that it approached, and some of the Monstruakens called foolishly with weak voices to the ten thousand to haste, forgetting and desiring only their safety from that which came near. Then, looking with the great spyglass, I saw that there moved across the land, from the direction of the plain of blue fire, a mighty hump, seeming of black mist, and came with prodigious swiftness. And I called to the master Monstruaken that he come and look through one of the eyepieces that were about the great spyglass, and he came quickly, and when he had looked a while, he called to the Monstruaken that had made report, and the Monstruaken answered and replied that the influence drew nearer by the reading of the instrument, yet of the thing itself the man had no sight. And I ceased not to look, and in a little while the humped thing passed downwards into the veil of red fire, which lay across the land that way, 
but I watched steadfastly and presently I saw the black hump climb up from the veil of red fire upon this side and come through the night, so that in scarce a minute it had come halfway across that part of the nightland. And my heart stood quiet with fear and the utter terror of this monster, which I knew to be surely one of the great forces of evil of that land, and had power without doubt to destroy the spirit. And the master Monstruaken leapt towards the home-call, and sent the great sound down to the ten thousand, that they might attend, and immediately he signalled to them to beware. But already I perceived that they knew of this utter danger that was upon them, for I saw them slay the youths quickly, that their spirits might not be lost, for they were unprepared. But the men, being prepared, had the capsule, and would die swiftly in the last moment. I looked again towards the hump, and saw that it came like a hill of blackness in the land, and was almost anigh. Then there happened a wonder. For in that moment, when all had else gone quickly, that they might save their souls, out of the earth there rose a little light, like to the crescent of the young moon of this early day. And the crescent rose up to an arch of bright and cold fire, glowing but little and it spanned above the ten thousand and the dead, and the hump stood still, and went backwards, and was presently lost. And the men came swiftly towards the mighty pyramid. Yet, ere they were come to safety, the baying of the hounds sounded close upon them, and they faced to the danger. Yet, as I could know, without despair, because that they yet lived after so enormous a peril and the hounds were very nigh, as now I beheld with the great spy-glass, and I counted five score, running with mighty heads low and in a pack. And, lo, as the hounds came at them, the ten thousand drew apart, and had a space between the men, that they might have full use of that terrible discos, and they fought with the handles at length, and I saw the discs spin and glisten and send out fire. Then was there a very great battle, for the light that arched above them, and held away the power from their souls, made not to protect them from this danger of the lesser monsters. And at an hundred thousand embrasures within the mighty pyramid the women cried and sobbed, and looked again. And in the lower cities it was told after, that the peoples could hear the crash and splinter of the armor, as the hounds ran to and fro, slaying ay, even the sound of the armour between their teeth. Yet the ten thousand ceased not to smite with the discos, and they hewed the hounds in pieces. But of the men that went forth there were a thousand and seven hundred slain by the hounds, ere the men won to victory. Then came that wearied band of heroes back to the home shelter of the vast redoubt, and they bore their dead with them and the youth that they slew, and they were received with great honour and with exceeding grief and in a great silence, for the thing admitted not of words until a time had passed. And in the cities of the pyramid there was mourning, for there had been no sorrow like unto this through mayhap an hundred thousand years. And they bore the youths to their mothers and to their fathers and the father of each made thanks to the men that they had saved the soul of his son. But the women were silent. 
yet neither to the father nor to the mother was ever made known the name of the slayers, for this might not be, as all shall see with a little thought. And some did remember that, in verity, all was due to the unwisdom of those youths who had heeded not the law and their life-teachings. Yet had they paid to the uttermost and passed outwards, and the account of their deeds was closed. And all this while did great numbers spy toward the road where the silent ones walk, that they might watch that band of youths afar in the nightland, who went forward amid those horrid dangers. Yet when the dead youths had been brought in, many had ceased to look out for a time and had turned to questioning, and some had made inspection that they might know which had come back, and which lay out there where the giants had slain them, or went forward to more dreadful matters. But who of those that were abroad, were slain, or still went onward, we had but indifferent knowledge. Though the men of the ten thousand knew somewhat, having had speech with the wounded youths, ere they slew them. And, as may be thought, these men were sorely questioned by the mothers and the fathers of those youths that were not accounted of, yet I doubt that few had much knowledge wherewith to console them. Now there was presently, in the Garden of Silence, which was the lowermost of all the underground fields, the ending of those seventeen hundred heroes, and of the youths that they had saved and slew. And the garden was a great country, and an hundred miles every way, and the roof thereof was three great miles above, and shaped to a mighty dome, as it had been that the builders and makers thereof did remember in their spirits the visible sky of this our present age. And the making of that country was all set out in a single history of seven thousand and seventy volumes, and there were likewise seven thousand and seventy years spent to the making of that country. So that there had unremembered generations lived and labored and died, and seen not the end of their labor. And love had shaped it and hallowed it, so that of all the wonders of the world there has been none that shall ever come anigh to that country of silence, an hundred miles every way of silence to the dead. And there were in that roof seven moons set in a mighty circle, and lit by the earth-current. And the circle was sixty miles across, so that all that country of quiet was visible yet to no great glare, but a sweet and holy light. So that I did always feel in my heart that a man might weep there and be unashamed. And in the midst of that silent country there was a great hill, and upon the hill a vast dome. And the dome was full of a light that might be seen in all that country, which was the Garden of Silence and beneath the dome was the crack, and within it the glory of the earth-current, from which all had life and light and safety. And in the dome at the north there was a gateway, and a narrow road went upward to the gateway, and the road was named the Last Road, and the gateway was named by no name, but known to all as the Gateway. And there were in that mighty country long roadways, and hidden methods to help travel, and constant temples of rest along the miles, and groves and the charm of water falling, and everywhere the statues of memory, 
and the tablets of memory, and the whole of that great underground country full of an echo of eternity and of memory and love and greatness, so that to walk alone in that land was to grow back to the wonder and mystery of childhood, and presently to go upwards again to the cities of the mighty pyramid, purified and sweetened of soul and mind. And in my boyhood I have wandered oft a week of days in that country of silence, and had my food with me and slept quietly amid the memories, and gone on again wrapped about with the quiet of the everlasting. And the man-soul within would be drawn mightily to those places where the great ones of the past eternity of the world had their memory named. But there was that within me which ever drew me, in the ending, to the hills of the babes, those little hills where might be heard amid the lonesomeness of an utter quiet a strange and wondrous echo, as of a little child calling over the hills. But how this was I know not, save by the sweet cunning of some dead maker in the forgotten years. And here, mayhaps by reason of this voice of pathos, were to be found the countless tokens of memory to all the babes of the mighty pyramid, through a thousand ages. And odd whiles would I come upon some mother, sitting there lonely, or mayhaps company by others. And by this little telling shall you know somewhat of the quietness and the wonder and the holiness of that great country hallowed to all memory and to eternity and to our dead. And it was here, into the country of silence, that they brought down the dead to their burial. And there came down into the country of silence maybe an hundred million, out of the cities of the pyramid, to be present and to do honour. Now they that had charge of the dead did lay them upon the road which ran upward unto the gateway, even that same road which was named the last road. And the road moved upward slowly with the dead and the dead went inward through the gateway, first the poor youths, and afterward they that had given up life that they might save them. And as the dead went upwards, there was a very great silence over all the miles of the country of silence. But in a little while there came from afar off a sound as of a wind wailing, and it came onwards out of the distance, and passed over the hills of the babes, which were a great way off. And so came a nigh to the place where I stood, even as the blowing of a sorrowful wind did it come, and I knew that all the great multitudes did sing quietly, and the singing passed onwards, and left behind it an utter silence, even as the wind doth rustle the corn, and pass onwards, and all fall to a greater seeming quietness than before and the dead passed inward through the gateway, into the great light and silence of the dome, and came out no more. And again from beyond the far hills of the babes there was that sound of the millions singing, and there rose up out of the earth beneath the voices of the underground organs, and the noise of the sorrow passed over me, and went again into the distance, and left all hushed. And, lo, as there passed inward to the silence of the dome, the last of those dead heroes, there came again the sound from beyond the hills of the babes. And as it came more nigh, I knew that it was the song of honour, loud and triumphant, and sung by countless multitudes. 
and the voices of the organs rose up into thunder from the deep earth, and there was a great honor done to the glory of the dead, and afterwards once more a silence. Then did the peoples of the cities arrange themselves so that from every city whence had come a hero were the people of that city gathered together. And when they were so gathered, they set up tokens of memory to the dead of their city. But afterwards did charge artists to the making of sculpture great and beautiful to that same end, and now did but place tablets against that time. And afterwards the people did wander over that country of silence, and made visit and honor to their ancestors, if such were deserving. And presently the mighty lifts did raise them all to the cities of the pyramid, and thereafter there was something more of usualness, save that ever the embrasures were full of those that watched the youths afar upon the great road. And in this place I to remember how that our spy-glasses had surely some power of the earth-current to make greater the impulse of the light upon the eye, and they were like no spy-glass that ever you did see, but oddly shaped and to touch both the forehead and the eyes, and gave wonderful sight of the land but the great spy-glass to be beyond all this. For it had the eyes of it upon every side of the mighty pyramid, and did be truly an huge machine. And to me, as I went about my duties, or peered forth through the great spy-glass at the youths upon the road where the silent ones walk, there came at times a far faint thrilling of the ether, so that sometimes I was aware that there was the beating of the master-word in the night but so strange and weak that the instruments had no wadding of it. And when this came, then would I call back through all the everlasting night to Nani, who was indeed Murdath, and I would send a master-word with my brain-elements, and afterwards such comfort as I might. Yet hard and bitter was the truth of my helplessness and weakness, and the utter terror and might of the evil forces and monsters of the nightland so that I was like to have break my heart with pondering. And the silence would come again, and anon the weak thrilling of the ether, but no more the far voice speaking in my soul. End of chapter 4, part 2